Welcome to the Blood Cancer Experience, a podcast series presented by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. This series connects people affected by blood cancers to their community with stories of hope, healing, and help. Welcome to the LLSC's ongoing series of podcasts dealing with the blood cancer experience. I am George Athens, your host for this podcast, which today deals with maintenance for acute myeloid leukemia, or AML. Our special guest is Dr. Tobias Berg at McMaster University in Hamilton. Thanks for joining us, uh, Dr. Berg. Thank you very much, and thank you very much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to have you here. Can we start with um, maybe a little bit of um, background as to why you chose this field of work? So my interest, like really from the start or from the get-go when I studied medicine was always in in molecular processes, also understanding disease um, or understanding disease processes. So uh, in that sense, I've, I've always been very interested in molecular mechanisms, which is a very important aspect in, in hematological cancers. And then I got involved with uh, the field of hematology through various rotations and spending time um, on the wards there. And then I also enjoyed very much working with the patient and the close patient relationship that we get as, as hematologists who care for the patients, not just for a day or two or for an hour or two, but really for longer periods and extended periods of time and helping them through this difficult phase of their life has been quite an important aspect for me. And that together then led to me choosing uh, this field of work. Um, when um, I then worked in, in research projects. I then got in contact uh, with uh, the lab of, of Dr. Lubert in, in Freiburg, where I started or where I gained interest in epigenetic treatments. I've always be, also been very focused or very interested in stem cell biology. And that kind of then led to my interest in stem cell transplantation, which is one of the main foci of my clinical work, really. Wow, it's uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, things that you're dealing with um, and a lot of background, a lot of experience. What is maintenance therapy for AML then and who, who should consider it? So maintenance therapy is, is really a therapy where we're thinking about extending the treatment and extending the treatment with one main reason. And the main reason is that AML unfortunately has a tendency to relapse. So after a successful initial treatment, either with an induction chemotherapy or some low intensity therapy, then extending that treatment and trying to keep that disease away, that's essentially the idea behind maintenance treatment. This in particular is interesting for patients with high risk disease but it's also interesting really in patients after allogeneic stem cell transplant, where one some interventions have been shown to actually reduce the risk for relapse and even improve survival. Okay, does that mean that um, all people living with AML should consider maintenance therapy or, or not necessarily? 
So there are some settings, and this is certainly something that uh, that the hematologist of the individual patient will discuss with the patient, where there is a very, very high chance for cure just with that treatment. And those patients would traditionally not need maintenance. This is the very good risk patients. Having said that, it's in that population not really been tested in clinical trials. In then somewhat higher risk situations or situations where uh, the patient can't have an allogeneic stem cell transplant. There is an approved drug essentially, it's an oral version of azacitidine that can be given as a continuous treatment again to reduce that risk of relapse and improve survival. And then there is the setting of allogeneic stem cell transplant where after an initial induction chemotherapy, the patient then undergoes allogeneic stem cell transplant, and where then with certain drugs, it is possible also to reduce that risk for relapse. In this group, this is really restricted to a very specific subgroup of patients, so most patients with allogeneic stem cell transplant will not get offered any type of maintenance strategy at this point, although this is something that we're working on in the lab. Um, how does the maintenance therapy then impact, um, well, let's say it, remission rates or overall survival? So um, in um, terms of something that I have not, not really touched upon in, in my brief introduction to maintenance is also that in certain settings, and this is in particular the case for uh, patients who will receive low intensity treatment. So treatment with the combination now of azacitidine and venetoclax. Those patients will not necessarily receive a maintenance treatment or a traditional type of maintenance treatment where they are put then on a new drug, but their treatment is just extended essentially until, um, until relapse occurs. So essentially this uh, can look, this is how maintenance will look like. Maintenance is a treatment that's then considered when a patient is in remission. And the idea is to reduce the risk for relapse. That's true for the, uh, or that is true for that setting where just with the induction treatment, uh, remission has been achieved and no transplant is possible. And in this case, uh, that maintenance treatment would in most cases, at least extend the period until the patient would would relapse. Would it 100% prevent that? Unfortunately not. None of our treatments are 100%, but uh, it can extend that period of time. And then we have the um, we have the other setting, really after allogeneic stem cell transplant, where in particular, when a specific mutation is present, a mutation in a gene for called FLAT3-ITD, we are increasing the um, we're increasingly getting data that uh, maintenance strategies are possible. And in this case, or at least for the one trial published uh, in that context that I've also been fortunate to contribute to, there the risk for relapse was about halved. So it was cut by, by about 50%. So um, in uh, specific settings then, in specific settings for uh, the patient who is uh, 
at risk for relapse, this is a strategy that would then be considered by the hematologist. And again, this is something that has to be discussed um, with the individual hematologist, in particular in that specific setting, because there are only small subgroups of patients who would benefit from it. And on the other hand, for that type of setting after a transplant, uh, there can be other interfering things, things like graft versus host disease, that if taken into account may preclude the patient from receiving that type of a strategy. Okay. Again, what going back to the approved treatment. So this is the treatment with the oral azacitidine. That's something that uh, then is available to certainly a, a bigger group of patients, in particular, those patients who can at this point not have a transplant or where um, they, for some reason, have contraindications to ever receiving a transplant. So that means that um, the oral sort of application could be um, administered outside a hospital setting then? Yes, that's correct. So uh, in particular for maintenance treatment or any type of maintenance treatment, we would obviously like to keep the patient out of the hospital because once we are thinking about maintenance, again, this is a situation where the patient is not um, currently dealing with active disease. So this is a setting where the patient should be um, or can be at home, can enjoy their life up to the point that it's possible with, uh, with still having gone through the treatment. But, uh, or, and that's why an oral application and also uh, as few side effects of, as possible are a very important aspect in uh, in considering these maintenance strategies because these are long-term treatments. So this is not something to just bite through within like a few weeks, but this is something that the patient would be on for a very long period of time, ideally even a few years. So, so what would um, the quality of life or day-to-day -day living be like for those um, who are on maintenance therapy? Can they continue on uh, leading a fairly normal life? So that's, uh, that's the goal, essentially. So that's the goal. So uh, obviously, the patient will still have had their intense phase of the treatment, and they are then usually in that setting where they are still recovering from that intense phase of the treatment. But on the other hand, the maintenance treatment by itself would not interfere very much with going on and doing your day-to-day -day activities up to the point of even considering going back to work and uh, leading the normal life, like also regular okay. like pastime activities and being together with family, doing things, and in particular, being outside of the hospital. Again, maintenance treatment is not without any side effects because, again, these are still drugs that are targeted at, at treating leukemia. So it's uh, there, there can be some side effects from this treatment, in particular side effects on the GI tract. But overall, the patients that I experienced being on um, maintenance treatment um, could lead a pretty normal life with that. I'm just wondering, um, are there current uh, advancements on the horizon for this? Uh, do you see anything that's uh, 
that's uh, moving ahead rapidly. Uh, I, I suspect all of this stuff takes a long time to to deal with, but uh, where are things right now, Dr. Berg? So in, in terms of um, maintenance treatments in, in general, we are kind of fortunate to have these oral agents that have now moved into the clinic. For those agents, it's really also about looking into specific indications, also looking at things like treatment duration, how long is this treatment necessary? Um, but then there are also other treatments on the horizon. And one thing that came um, or became pretty in clear when looking at uh, the FLAT3 inhibitors after allogeneic stem cell transplant is that they have a very interesting effect. And that interesting effect is that they can enhance the ability of the immune system to um, essentially see residual leukemia cells. So it's not just that we are blocking those residual leukemia cells from growing out, but really we can um, we can enable the immune system after the transplant to clear off those leukemia cells. And this has been a pretty fascinating mechanism, at least to me. And so we are currently in the lab studying other mostly epigenetic interventions that have a similar possibility of potentially enhancing the ability of um, immune cells to recognize leukemia cells. And we have some preliminary data in the context of um, agents targeting um, an epigenetic modifier called LSD1. And uh, we hope to, in the future, pursue this also as a clinical treatment. And that strategy would be interesting in the sense that it would potentially be broader applicable to patient groups that don't have the FLAT3 ITD mutation, where these first inhibitors that I've talked about, uh, this is where these inhibitors would work. So there are things on the horizon, also other maintenance strategies, ideas of moving, for example, the treatment with oral azacitidine after to after transplant, and then potentially also to look for patients or to look in more detail into patient populations that would mostly benefit from being on a maintenance treatment. So is there ways of, of identifying those patients because they may be have minimal residual disease, or they have other risk features that kind of point us towards an increased risk for relapse. Would those patients be particular benefiting particularly from the uh, from being on a maintenance strategy? Is obviously also a very interesting question. Well, sounds like fascinating work. We've covered a lot of ground, and uh, I would like to thank you very much for taking the time to. Uh speak with us and share this information with our audience. Uh, thanks, Dr. Berg. Thank you very much. If listeners have any questions about this podcast or the subject discussed today, or need any support or resources to navigate your experience, I encourage you to connect with a community services lead in your region. For more information, visit bloodcancers.ca. If you liked our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can find us wherever you access your favorite podcasts. We also welcome any ideas for our program, so we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your suggestions or comments at info at bloodcancers.ca.
And finally, this podcast was made possible with the generous support of Bristol Myers Squibb. Until next time, stay well and stay connected. Thank you for listening to The Blood Cancer Experience, a series of podcasts presented by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. We are committed to supporting the blood cancer community through programs, services, and research. This podcast is presented by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada.